I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. My guest today is Lewis Brown, Executive Director of Christ Medicus. Lewis received his undergraduate degree from Michigan State University and went on to study law at Howard University School of Law in Washington, D.C. He's worked in private practice as an attorney, has worked inside of a state Catholic conference, near and dear to my heart, has worked as a staffer, uh, congressional staffer on Capitol Capitol Hill, and in uh, 2014 began service as the director of uh, Christ Metaphysics Foundation, uh, C-U-R-O, and he can tell us a little bit more about that, um, left uh, Christ Metaphysics in 2017 and worked in the President Trump Health and Human Services Administration. Uh, really, really fascinating experience and came back to CMF in 2019. Lewis believes that the ultimate uh, mission of Christ Medicus Foundation is to share the healing love of God in healthcare to help build with St. John Paul II called the civilization of love and justice. Christ Medicus is a Catholic nonprofit that is focused on defending religious freedom and building Christ-centered Catholic healthcare. Lewis, welcome to our show today. Chris, thank you for having me on, and I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me, uh, for me as well. Um, this this Catholic healthcare, that, you know, I just first learned about Christ Medicus this last summer. We were introduced through some mutual friends, and you made a visit uh, to South Dakota to kind of talk some law and policy, healthcare policy, and the law. Uh, a great, great visit. And the more I learned about Christ Medicus, I just thought, wow, what what a great great mission and so, so needed. You maybe want to, just before we kind of get into the meat of our, of our talk today about kind of conscience, healthcare, religious freedom, civil rights, tell us, tell us just a little bit more about the mission of, of Christ Medicus and what it is you do. Sure. Um, the mission of the Christ Medicus Foundation um, is an aspect of the mission of the church. It's to share the love of Jesus Christ, uh, particularly within healthcare. Mm. Healthcare, uh, the, the, the healing mission, um, the healing ministry is something that every uh, American, every human person really experiences uh, on a certain level uh, from the moment they're born until the moment they pass. Mm-hmm. And it's vital that uh, in that experience of medical care, in that experience of, of healthcare, which is supposed to be a healing profession, which is supposed to be a healing ministry, in uh, that experience of that medical care, of that health care, that they experience, that they, uh, they see, uh, they are witness to uh, the love of Jesus Christ, uh, which is the mission of the Catholic Church uh, in health care, which is the mission of uh, Catholic health care. And at the Christ Medicus Foundation, uh, we do that in three ways. We, we, uh, we share that healing love of Jesus Christ uh, and empower that first through uh, defending our right to do it, defending our right of conscience and religious freedom in healthcare, uh, which is vitally important uh, that that right, that civil right of conscience and religious freedom in healthcare is protected, respected, defended at the state and the uh, federal level. Mm. Uh, we also, uh, Chris, work with uh, Catholic uh, medical centers, Catholic clinics uh, to ensure that uh, folks that are vulnerable, f- folks that are in some cases materially impoverished, 
have access to Christ-centered Catholic medical care. Uh, and then we also have a Catholic health sharing option uh, that we call Curo, CMF Curo. Uh, Curo is Latin to heal, to care for uh, under certain different uh, translations mm. or approximate translations. Uh, and that is a health sharing option, a healthcare option for individuals, for families. We have members in uh, 40, over 45 states that are sharing their medical costs with each other with a, uh, a larger uh, Christian health sharing uh, ministry. Uh, and that's very important because it's uh, an example of paying for one's health care that's consistent with the gospel, consistent with um, uh, with the way that the apostles and the early church uh, experienced their Christian community by caring for each other, uh, sharing things in common. And we're doing that uh, in healthcare. And it's also beautiful because uh, it is pro-life and that is so needed right now. So uh, we're, you know, in, in this day and age, it's a blessing um, uh, to have a job that you love, to have a, to be employed at, well, at all. But I, I love this mission and I'm blessed yes. uh, participate in it, at least for now. Well, and I love too how you, how you right away just describing Christ Medicus and what it does is it's a participation in the mission of the church. That's right. Because I think so foundational for wherever we are in our lives as baptized persons, that, that we're all called to participate in the mission of the church, but to have that so explicitly at the core of your identity as an organization is so powerful. I'm really struck too that you, you kind of, in closing your description, you mentioned even going back to the apostles in this, at this apostolic age, there's a book that's been making the rounds here in the upper Midwest published by University of Mary called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, uh, Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age. Really, really compelling book. And so maybe I'm wondering if you could just offer a few thoughts on Christian identity and what this means for Catholic healthcare, particularly, whether as providers, as consumers, um, et cetera. What, what is, how, does, how do we kind of sort through our identity as Christians in a time of really challenge and conflict? Sure. Um, I think in the, in the moment that we're in right now, um, it is in the West, at a minimum, in the West, um, it is one of the most challenging times to be a Christian in the last uh, 1600 years. Mm. Um, you know, um, there have been much tougher times in general, right? You know, for, for those of us who had parents or grandparents, I had a grandparent that served in World War II, experienced the Depression. For those of us that, you know, are in our late 30s, our 40s or 50s, again, parents or grandparents, you know, what they endured in the Depression and World War II uh, in the United States, um, what uh, folks, uh, you know, in the Middle East uh, and, uh, and Europe may have endured in World War II, the Great Depression. Uh, and then you add in Africa, South America, Latin America, what they would experience with the political unrest, uh, with the fall of colonialism and all that. So th there have been much tougher times. Um, uh, over the last 1600 years than the period that we're in now, uh, in general, much tougher times in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, in, but it's the first time probably in 1600 years that throughout the West, uh, and at least one of the first times where throughout the West, um, simply being a Christian um, is, a, is a serious challenge 
to the prevailing culture. Um, that that hasn't been true in some time, and again, maybe maybe not uh, not since the beginning of of Christendom. Um, I've been struck by a talk, Chris, that I watched and then happened to see an amazing Catholic priest in Michigan uh, speak about at a retreat. Um, it was a talk from uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen that he gave to the Diocese of Raleigh in 1974, in which in 1974, again, nearly yeah. 50 years ago, he said that Christendom is over, Yeah, uh, that Christendom had died. The church never dies, right? The church is always alive because it's, it's the Lord. But, but Christendom uh, is over. And, um, and I, and, you know, perhaps providentially, this priest also referenced that same book that you just referenced, mm. um, where we're transitioning from this time where on some level, the prevailing culture supported a Judeo-Christian worldview. It does not any longer. And so what has been, that, that's just the reality that we're in. I, I think that what has been for me, and I think must be um, the guiding star, the guiding light for our Catholic brothers and sisters, our Christian brothers and sisters and people of goodwill, um, is to think with the mind of Christ. Uh, using the words of Cardinal Mueller at the beginning of this year, almost a year ago, to think with the mind of Christ, to think with the spirit of Christ and not the spirit of the world, to go with the spirit of God, the spirit of love, truth, beauty, freedom, and not the spirit of the world, and to be grounded there. Um, we all have certain political sensibilities. Um, uh, we all have uh, various different racial, ethnic heritages um, uh, amongst us. We have different experiences, but we have to come with everything as I am a child, understanding that I'm a child of God, that mm. the by virtue of my baptism has given me a divine inheritance. Yes. All things I'm going to approach uh, my interaction with the culture, my interaction with my, com my community, my interaction with the public, my interaction as a citizen, I'm going to operate from all bases as a, a child of God, as a Catholic, and to just simply be a Catholic. Um, that's vital. Um, and to surround ourselves too with a local Catholic community. And I mean, I'm not talking about community as in we get coffee and donuts and I don't know anything about you for 10 years. Yeah. I'm talking about uh, communities in which um, we can accompany each other. We can walk together, perhaps in a neighborhood, perhaps around a parish, perhaps around a men's or a women's group. And we can support each other uh, in seeing and acting with that mind of Christ, particularly as our culture and our cities in our states and at the national popular level uh, is accusing us of things that aren't true, are subscribing to lies, um, are uh, uh, seeking to deceive us uh, from the true way uh, to freedom and liberation, not just for us, but for all of our brothers and sisters. So in order to keep that mind of Christ on, um, we, have to, we have to pray, we have to spend time with the Lord, but we also have to engage um, in, in a communal sort of living uh, so that we can persevere. Yeah, that that's a that's a word that's that's come up I think time and again in the last number of years, at least where I live. One one of the words that kind of came to my heart just as you were reflecting there on some of the difficulties we as Christians have been through in the past. Um, we, we've been through many difficulties before. We're in a we're in a new new time right now where it's maybe not as difficult in certain ways, 
but maybe more so in others. The word that really came to my heart was from Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, and I think that's, we live in a time in which we have really profound um, and unprecedented material comforts. We have healthcare that is able to help the human body uh, prosper and flourish in so many ways. You know, the, the depths of our medical sciences that can, they can really cure. It's amazing. Yet there are still challenges that can kill the soul quite literally, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe, maybe a, a great transition to talk, to talk just a bit about conscience and why the need to defend medical conscience, religious freedom and healthcare is so, so important right now. And we could come at it from different angles, whether it be the provider angle or the patient angle. Sure. Um, you know, the, the two, when you think of a civil society, Chris, um, uh, a civil society, right? So we come together in voluntary community um, to uh, to live, right? And um, and when we think of a free and open society, um, there are two there are two I would say near conditions uh, for for a free and open society that respects. Uh, human dignity to exist. Uh, number one is uh, respect for each individual person's right to life, the right to live, their God-given right to live, the right to life, number one. And then number two, um, the right to think, to act, to to work, to love consistent with their well-formed moral and religious convictions. Um, If you are um, not free to live, if you don't have the right to life, then of course, uh, you know, you're not, there's no freedom at all. Uh, uh, Justice does not reign. Uh, It it is self-evident. I would say the same as well with that right of conscience, that right of religious freedom to live, to act, to worship, uh, to love, to, to work consistent with that well-formed uh, moral and religious conscience, to think for um, And those, those two things are vital. And that right to life, that right to conscience and religious freedom are these twin uh, pillars upon which all of these other uh, natural and civil rights stand. Um, and so those, those things must Preserve. By way of example, uh, when we look at the current ongoing public health crisis, which is, which is extraordinary, extraordinarily serious and real, and people are struggling and people are in the hospital. I have someone who's a quasi family member right now who's in a hospital uh, down south in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know folks that have passed away from uh, this virus, and so it is a serious thing. Um, but um, We've seen the Supreme Court, uh, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, and we've seen particularly Justice Alito, but the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, as well as Justice Gorsuch as part of that court, talking about even in a public health crisis, um, the uh, right of religious freedom as 
protected by the First Amendment is so pivotal, it's so important, and that uh, we can both safeguard our public health, which is based on the right to life, uh, while, we, while we defend and protect and respect religious freedom. Um, and that has, a, that has a health implication there as well. But let's take that into uh, the healthcare context. As we talked about, Chris, uh, everyone, particularly in our age, in our time, has some uh, contact with the healthcare system, uh, you know, from, from birth to, uh, to hopefully your, one's natural death. Okay. And, and it, it is a massive part of our civil society. It's a massive part of our civil society. Right. And uh, particularly in healthcare, doctors, nurses, um, other type of medical professionals should be able to provide care consistent with what they believe to be best and right for that patient, consistent with their moral or religious convictions. It is one of the most fundamental human and civil rights a person has in general, but particularly for a doctor, for a nurse. If they are to give the best care that they believe their patient uh, uh, can get, they are of course going to do that consistent with their moral and religious uh, convictions. And so that is vitally important. It's also vitally important that those moral and religious convictions be respected for patients or consumers. It's the most, one of the most basic fundamental rights of an open society, of a free society. It's one of the most basic and fundamental rights in our American Republic, Republican system of government. Uh, and so it's vitally important. If we're gonna have a free healthcare system, which all of us intersect with, if we're gonna have a free healthcare system, we have to respect and defend uh, the rights of patients, of doctors, of uh, nurses, of other medical professionals, uh, and of consumers that uh, are paying into the healthcare system. And yeah, and when you say free healthcare system, I just want to clarify for for listeners too that it, it's not necessarily meaning about free free of cost to participants. No, but no, but no. free in the sense of ordered towards man and women's fulfillment are flourishing as human beings. Right. Um, so free, free in that. that right. Health. Yes. No, 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 yeah. no, of course. No, when I mean, talk I think, healthcare policy. It can be, uh, we can get a, a bit of field. So just to clarify yeah. there. One, right. One, just in the, in the sense that we have a, an economy that's open, yes. that's yes. available to everyone. We should also have a healthcare system that's open and available to, 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 to everybody, but in which the patient is free to make his or her own, Amen. Uh, Amen. The, the doctor, the nurse is free to make. We're talking about when I say a free system, I'm talking about a healthcare system uh, that is consistent with human freedom. And and that would that would include just a being a free system, meaning open and at right. the service of including those who are materially or spiritually impoverished in some way. Right. That's and, correct. And that's one of the, the great, great blessings of Catholic healthcare in this country is that there's always been this impetus to really be Christ for these people. Christ healed people. You know, we know that, that he didn't, you know, he didn't just sort of um, create this inner experience of encounter and salvation, but in fact, he, he gave physical healing to some of those he encountered. And that's, you know, that's, that's the mission of Catholic healthcare in so many ways. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, and, and Catholic healthcare is, is really important. The, um, so much of our, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to even say modern, but so much of our, our existing healthcare system was built up by 
uh, Catholic healthcare, particularly yes. hospitals that were started by various religious orders, um, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years ago. That was that was most of the foundation of healthcare uh, in the West, yes. uh, and 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 gave us much of what uh, the the good that we still have today. As yeah. we at the American healthcare system, so much of it, and we'll, we can talk about this later. So much of it uh, is um, uh, is coming from so much of healthcare delivery where people go to uh, take care of different issues that they may have uh, more serious issues, less serious issues. They're often going to a faith-based healthcare institution. Uh, and so protecting the rights of those faith-based institutions, uh, of those medical doctors and uh, nurses and other healthcare professionals of faith to continue to do the great work they do and, and, and We've seen a lot of the great work they do during this last year during this public health care crisis to yeah. continue to uh, empower them to do the work they do by saying, we're going to protect your God-given right uh, of conscience. Uh, we're going to let, uh, continue to uh, defend your right, preserve your right, protect your right to uh, care for and love your patients consistent with your moral and religious convictions. You know, w- one of the phrases that you've used, I think just a couple of times you've used this phrase civil right mm-hmm. you know of course that that phrase takes on its really vivid meaning in especially for for americans who who lived through um this era of of the expansion of civil rights in mm-hmm. the 60s it's just really vivid and full of meaning but it but you've used it as relates to conscience and healthcare. Can sure. you unpack that just a little bit and maybe even mention, um, I, I've seen a little bit uh, lately concerning this uh, healthcare civil rights task force. Maybe you could say a word about that. Sure. Um, as we understand, um, you know, our, our American Republic and the American civil rights tradition, um, the, the, the founding of the United States of America was based on this idea that every, every person um, has certain unalienable rights uh, endowed by uh, their creator, by God, right? That we all have these God-given rights that don't come from the state, don't come from any other person or entity, um, but that, are, that each person has and that no one can take away and that no one can take away. Um, and um, the movement to, uh, uh, to end slavery, to abolish slavery, was again based on that, that Christian belief that um, every human person uh, has God-given human dignity that must be respected um, and protected. Um, as we look into the civil rights movement, it was a continuation of that Judeo-Christian belief, regardless of what the law may say, um, that just laws are appropriate, but an unjust law is no law at all. And so whether it was the Jim Crow segregation, whether it was uh, a segregation of public schools, whether it was job discrimination, housing discrimination, the second class citizenship of so many African-Americans, that that wasn't right, regardless of what the law said, because it was unjust, because it was not consistent with the truth of things, because it violated uh, the laws of God around every single human person. And so the civil rights movement grew out of this belief that every person uh, is given uh, uh, human dignity from the creator uh, that must be respected 
that that uh, that we have a moral obligation to respect to respect and protect the God-given dignity of every man, woman, and child. Uh, you see that from the Declaration of Independence, which uh, set it unperfectly, the founding, which was unperfect. Uh, it, we saw a attempt to perfect that through uh, through the abolition of, of slavery and the Civil War, uh, a continuing effort to perfect that through the work of folks like Dr. Martin Luther King uh, and other folks involved to continue to perfect that and make that much more of a reality. And as we look at the civil rights movement, so much of the civil rights movement was a call to conscience, was a call mm-hmm. to uh, to to create uh, to to create and to establish laws that were consistent with the truths of the God-given rights and dignities of every human person. So by way of example, one of the most famous things, Chris, letter from a Birmingham jail. Yeah. It was a call to conscience. Even though the law said what it said in parts of the South, they knew that the law was wrong because it it, it violated uh, the God-given natural law written on every man's heart. And their conscience and the conscience of King and others said, we can't go along with this. And so conscience, that right of conscience, which was so much of the call of the civil rights movement of the 20th century, the call of conscience of Christians and Jews to say, let's, let's fight uh, this oppression, let's fight this injustice, uh, that's, that, that call to conscience, that respect for conscience, that respect for conscience in all facets of life has to be protected. And that call to conscience was the, which is much of the basis for the civil rights movement in the United States over the last 50 years. And so when we think about protecting the conscience of medical professionals, uh, we understand and we know that that is a civil right, that right to think and speak and to love and to care for others consistent with their God-given rights and dignities. Um, That is a civil right. And that is one of those two civil rights that right to life, that right to conscience and religious freedom are these two rights upon which all other rights are uh, dependent upon. And um, it should be understood to be a civil right. If we don't have conscience, we don't have all these other rights to health, to, to, to education, to housing, uh, we, to, to, to medical care. We just don't have it. And so it has to be protected as a civil right uh, from which so many other civil rights flow. Lewis, we've got about a minute, a minute left. Any, any final thoughts or, or maybe suggestions on, on what a, might, a next step might look like for anybody who's listening right now and really feels called to, to act in some way on behalf of conscience? Yeah, so um, the right of conscience and religious freedom in healthcare is under the greatest attack uh, it's ever been in modern American history. Uh, and it's, it's under attack in South Dakota. It's under attack. Mm-hmm across the country. I know it's under attack for a fact in South Dakota. Yes. Uh, uh, Red states, blue states, whatever you want to call them. We have to protect that right of conscience and religious freedom uh, for for our uh, a free America, for a, uh, a free and open society, uh, and also for our, our, our Catholic health care. We have to protect the right to, con- to continue to care for patients, often the most poor and the most vulnerable, consistent with their moral and religious convictions. It's under attack. We have to fight it. Uh, we need to do that in South Dakota. Uh, and there's great work to do. I'm so grateful for all these thoughts, uh, Louis. Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. Pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray, for, pray us. for us. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Louis. Thank you, Chris.
And thank you once again, dear listeners, for tuning in. Until next time, live well. <laughs>